If you're a student, you're dismissed to go with Mr. Weldon or to go with Ms. Morgan, either one. Greetings. If you're new here today, um, I greet you in the name of my Savior. Welcome to Christ Community Church. If you're not new, I still greet you in the name of my Savior. And I'm happy as heck that you're here with us. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Weldon. Um, Christopher, that was great. Bless you. Bless one and all. Rachel, thank you for coming back and being with us again. How wonderful. Um, many of you are wondering about Tommy. Patty, you're not here. Okay, I thought she might be here. Um, Tommy, uh, you know, his dad passed away. Friday? Friday night. Friday afternoon. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Tommy got to be down there with his dad and his two brothers. And um, so I, I don't know anything other than that. Okay, so I don't know, I don't, they were going to make all the arrangements today. And I don't know whether Tommy will stay down there because the funeral is early in the week or he'll come back here and then go back if the funeral's later in the week. I don't know any more than you do at that point. But y'all can be praying for him. And uh, he knew that his daddy was um, a believer in the Lord Jesus and he put his trust in Christ to get him to heaven, to deal with his sin, and to adopt him into... God's family, and so he's, uh, you know, it's sad, but it's also uh, wonderful to know your dad's with the Lord. I, I can testify to that uh, personally. We are doing a little, I don't know, hadn't gotten that far along, but four or five week study uh, based upon four words that I was looking at in some material that I was reading that John Gottman had, had put together about specifically marriage relationships, but it really applies to any significant relationship uh, in our lives. And he said that these relationships, relationships that are healthy, relationships that are satisfying, and relationships that last. And he would say, his research would say that he has a 97% success rate of telling you whether or not your relationship is healthy, satisfying, and is going to last. 97% success rate. And he said that he can tell this by sitting down with you and talking with you and identifying where you would fall into four, on four issues. And we're... So I took those for you. He's not a believer. Has nothing to do with Christianity or God or anything else. He's just talking very pragmatically about relationships. But the four ideas that he identified as required for relationships that are healthy, satisfying, and that endure, does it shock anyone that those would be four important qualities that God wants us to possess in our relationship with Him and in our relationship with each other. And more importantly, that He spends great time in the Scripture telling us that He is offering to us. 
And so when I, when I saw those, I was like, dang. And so anyway, I've been working up some, some studies on this, and so I want to talk about that with y'all today. My bride is sitting back there in the back because she has a bad cold. And um, so anyway, she has a bad cough, and she doesn't want to be up here coughing. So I'm going to miss you being up here. I hope I act nice. So y'all can pray about that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, when you... Yeah, <laughs> actually, that'd be fine with me. Um, when you think about loyalty, when you think about loyalty, I want you to just stop for a second and uh, what comes to your mind? You know, I don't want you to answer, but just, just when you think of loyalty, do you see faces? Do you see names? Do you see encounters or relationships when you think of loyalty what comes to your mind and when you think of betrayal what comes to your mind loyalty and on the other end of the scale betrayal um, I found it interesting I was I just uh, my wife doesn't think that I heard anything that we were taught in high school, and she's 97% correct. Um, I remember, uh, what was that lady, boy, that pin around her neck? No, and it taught us English at prep. Uh, Ms., um, I can't remember her name. But anyway, she was teaching us Dante's Inferno. And what the... the I, I don't remember any, it's a miracle of God that I remember the name Dante and I remember the, the, the word Inferno. Um, what did stick with me is that you've got all these nine levels or circles of like you're getting from the outer part of hell. And you understand all this is made up. There's nothing like this in real life or in, in the scripture. There's nothing like this. But in Dante's understanding of, of hell and death, you went from sort of bad to more bad to more bad to more bad to more bad and then you get to the dead center and of all the sins in that world that was considered the worst sin it was the sin of betrayal and I think there was Judas was there and I forget Brutus Cassius and maybe a few others I don't remember but but I remember that of all the sins murder you know, anything, betrayal was the, the worst. And I would suggest that the Scripture wouldn't disagree with that. The, the, um, the you know, Judas would, would be, um, you know, the fact that he betrayed the Lord Jesus, Peter, that he betrayed the Lord Jesus, um, those would have been considered, um, you know, horrifying sins uh, in the value system of the early church. But, you know, when you think of that, um, just this idea of betrayal, you think of a boss, co-worker, a mate, a child, a parent, a friend, a leader, somebody that you trusted. Just want you to think about that for a second. Um, 
Again, I've already said that John Gottman, who is the most, he's the foremost authority in the world on marriage relationships. I, I can't imagine anybody not agreeing with that. Um, uh, he identifies four things, four indicators. And based upon where you are on that scale, he can tell you whether or not your relationship is healthy, satisfying, and will, will last, will endure. One of the, we talked about one of them last week, and that was trust. Trust versus distrust. Uh, today we're going to talk about loyalty versus betrayal. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about power. Power in a, in a relationship. Who holds the power? And it's, it's, it's probably the one that I have found the most intriguing of all. This idea of power and who holds that. In my family growing up, that was a significant element. I think it's probably significant in every relationship. We just don't see it sometimes or recognize it. But this idea is the power shared or is it unilateral? Does someone, is there one person that really at the end of the day holds the power? So it's a intriguing idea that we'll talk about and obviously we'll talk about God and God's power in the relationship and how he relates to us with that power I think you'll find it interesting and then the fourth one is a, these are not Gottman's words but it's what he means attention versus ignoring or neglecting when when uh, in your relationship, do I give attention to my wife, especially when she is indicating she needs or wants attention, versus do I ignore or neglect that? And, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Trust, loyalty, power, and attention. Here's what I want you to think about for just a second. Notice what's not on the list. The things that make or break your marriage are your relationship with your child, your parent, your friend, your coworkers. Notice what's not on the list. I don't see uh, feeling some kind of a special feeling. Not on his list. Education, wealth, bank account full of money, children or no children, intelligence or the lack thereof, the absence of problems and or failure, not on his list. And my favorite, let me go and apologize in advance to some of y'all because you aren't going to like this. Sorry. Um, compatibility. Oh, we filled out a little form and the computer matched us up. Therefore, if the computer matched us up so that we're compatible, we got to make. Compatibility is not on his list. 
I find that remarkable. That you and your mate, or you and anybody you're not, whether or not you're compatible or not, is not an indication of whether you're going to have a relationship that is healthy, satisfying, and that endures. Whew. Lucky for me and you, right, Charlie? Whoo! Lord help us. Compatibility really doesn't have anything to do with love. It doesn't guarantee love. Love doesn't even create compatibility. God loves us. We're not very compatible with Him. In my journey with my bride, and with many of you, what I would say is that, you know what is more important than compatibility? A willingness to die to self. People that are willing to die to self, they create relationships that are healthy, satisfying, and endure. You might think, well, that's your opinion. Jesus said it this way, or John said it this way in 1 John chapter 3. Jesus showed us what love really looks like when He laid down His life for us. A willingness to die to self. That's what, and if you'll notice, trust, loyalty, sharing or keeping power, and giving attention when you don't want to. Every one of those involve dying to self. But I'm busy. I cannot give you attention right now. Versus setting down what I think is so important and saying, I'll give you attention. I find that remarkable. Last week we talked about the importance of relational trust. Relationships cannot be healthy. They cannot satisfy and they cannot endure where there is an absence of true trust. I choose to trust you. You live a life that encourages me to trust you. I choose to live a life that encourages you to trust me. And we talked about the fact that God has committed to building a trust relationship with us. And He's chosen to create that trust relationship with us by always doing two things. And it's the same two things that if you want a relationship with your husband, how can I build trust with my mate? Do the same two things that God's committed to doing. He always tells us the truth. Never fudges, never hides, never deceives, never tells us half the truth, part of the truth. God always tells us, well, what if it makes, makes us mad? He still tells us the truth. What if we don't agree? He still tells us the truth. What if we run away? He still tells us the truth. He will never not tell us the truth. You and I cannot have a trust relationship with somebody that won't tell us, that won't tell us the truth even at great risk. The other thing that God's committed to doing is He always does what He says. He would never say, I'll go to the grocery store and get that gallon of milk on the way home from work. I forgot. God doesn't forget. He said, well, I just have a, I have a hard time, 
you know, I, I forget to do things that I said I would do. Uh, I've never met a man that forgets when deer season opens. I've never heard of a woman that forgets bunco night or their child's birthday. Never, never. We always remember what's important. We never forget what's important. We forget that which is unimportant. So if I, forget, I tell y'all do something and I forget to do it, it shows you where it is on the importance level. God always tells us the truth. God always does what He says. It doesn't matter whether you promise it or not. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, if we want a trust relationship, God says, you got to do what you say. Before we get into today's lesson, I just want to say one more thing that I was just thinking about. Um, we live in a world that is, for me, very confusing. I stay confused at the, the values and the priorities and the anger and the, I, the whole thing is just, it's, it's crazy to me. I, that's, that's not, it's confusing to me. And a part of this confusing world that we live in is that we have a world of people who are angry that other people have put a ceiling on how far they can go in life. Put a cap. Um, I don't want you keeping me from going further than I want to go. And if I feel like you're doing that, then I'm mad at you. Is there truth to that? Absolutely. Is there two sides to that? Probably a million sides, but absolutely. But isn't it wonderful that at the end of the day, the things that God offers us, there's no cap. There's no ceiling. But you mean the guy that has no education can experience relationships with God and other people that are healthy, satisfying, and that will last. The guy with no education and the guy with a PhD from Harvard. The guy with $5 in the bank and the guy with a billion dollars in the bank. The ugly person and the pretty person. The, the weak, oppressed person and the powerful person. The female and the male. The white and the black. The American and the fill in the blank. God never puts limitations or a ceiling or a cap on anything He offers to us. How much health, satisfaction, and, 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 and last endurance... Long-lastingness, I know it's not a word, but you know my point. How much do you want? You decide. I got a Pacific Ocean full of it. I can give you all you want. You decide how much relational abundance and life you want. And I am committed to helping you achieve that. God never puts caps on the things that He offers. He never says, well now... 
You're you're old. You're you you have. I'm going to limit that. Your past, your family, your wealth, your education, your gender, whatever it is, your skin color. God never puts limitations on anything that He offers us. I find that. I just think that's God. <laughs> I think that's God. Okay, loyalty. We're going to talk about that today. One key indicator of relational success is that I offer to my mate or my daughter or my grandson or my mom or my friend loyalty. Now let me, let me versus betrayal. Now immediately when I use the word betrayal, where your mind probably goes, and this is included, but it's only a small part. Where your mind goes is, you embezzled my family's fortune, or you committed adultery. That's where your mind goes. They stole all our money, he betrayed my trust and stole all our money, or you committed adultery on me. Absolutely, those kinds of actions having a destructive impact upon any relationship. And he would include that. But when Gottman uses the word betrayal, he doesn't, he's not primarily thinking about that. Where, he, where his focus is, is on me doing anything that communicates to you, Austin, you're not important. You're not valuable. I don't believe in you. Oh. See, you were sitting there going, Whew, you know, this is going to be a good day because I had never committed adultery and I've never embezzled a million bucks. So I'm good today. Oh. You mean betrayal is anything that I would do, or that I, more importantly, that I do repeatedly that communicates, Sandra, you're not important. You're not valuable. I don't believe in you. Now all of a sudden, let's all sit up and raise our hand. As I said, betrayal, is, according to Gottman, is not necessarily a heinous act, but communicating that other people and or other things are more important than you. Feelings of betrayal lead to fear, uncertainty, hurt, devaluation, inadequacy, feeling unsafe, feeling replaceable. Betrayal destroys people and it destroys relationships. In fact, I would suggest there is nothing that I can do that is more destructive than communicating to you or you communicating to me that you don't matter to me that you are unimportant, that you are not valuable, that I don't believe in you. For relationships to be healthy, satisfying, and to endure, I've got to be very intentional 
and consistent with my words and my choices to communicate to you that at the end of the day, you matter. I believe in you. You are important. My wife and I were talking the other, we were on a walk the other day, shocking, and uh, we were talking about this and she brought up a great point that she would have shared if she, if she was up here with me. Um, wonder which is more destructive relationally. Embezzlement or adultery are just the day in, day out message that other things and other people are more important? Good question. Makes me where my mind went when she was saying that was wonder which is more destructive. Derek, you would know, you don't have to tell me, but you would know what's more destructive to a house? A slow leak in a pipe between the walls that goes on unaddressed for years? Or a water pipe bursting and flooding the floors? Which is more important? Which is more destructive? The slow, methodical drip, 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 drip. You're not important. You're, my parents are more important than you. Our kids are more important than you. You don't really matter, at least not as much as other things. Drip, 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 versus the tidal wave of something, a, a choice that is absolutely wrong and terrible. It's a good, I don't really know the answer. <laughs> I will let you, I'll leave that with you. Um, the, the, the limb crashing through the ceiling uh, or termites. Just wonder. As far as you and your relationships and me and mine, I can tell you this. I spent most, Shirley and I, we were sitting by this lovely couple two nights ago at Napa Cafe. Thank you, Kim. Uh, we were sitting at Napa Cafe the other night by this lovely couple, and, and uh, they'd been married 50 years, and we'd been married 40 years, and so we were chatting, and I was asking them questions about their marriage, and uh, I don't know, it was, it was just a... I, I, I loved listening to them talk about their journey together. Um, I would just say, in my own journey, and I could tell from him, he's a doctor, I, I could identify with him, it's very easy to come up in your mind with valid reasons to make choices that communicate unintentionally but nonetheless, loud and clear, you're not first. You're not first. I've got to do these things. You don't understand. These things are so demanding and pressing and important. 
They matter. I'm building a church. Rescuing the perishing. This, you've got to take a back seat. Because this is so important. Maybe it is. But the message is heard loud and clear. Message is heard loud and clear. Said it before, I'll say it again. I find it amazing and just only, it's just God, that the qualities that Gottman says indicate the health and the satisfaction and the longevity of my relationship with Shirley or with Rainey or with one of you are the same qualities that God would say are indicators of the health, satisfaction, and longevity of my relationship with Him and Him with me. And one of the things that God would say is that I offer you, Larry, Cleo, Derek, Jerry, I offer you a relationship of absolute loyalty. I don't know if this even matters in our study today, but I just find it very revealing of the mind of God and the heart of the early church. You know, the word believe and the word faith and the word loyalty are all the same word. The just shall live by, what's the word? Faith. Do you know it's just equally accurate to translate that? The just shall live by loyalty. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen. You could also translate that, be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And on and on and on and on. The word faith the word believe and the word loyalty, they're synonymous. They're the same word in the Greek New Testament. I find that incredible. And if you read the history of the early church, people's loyalty to Jesus and to His body, there, there was nothing more important in the life of the early church. Loyalty. You know that God offered all four of these qualities to Adam and Eve when He first created them and placed them in the garden. He offered them a trust relationship. Please don't eat that tree. But He didn't put a... Did you notice? He didn't put a flaming uh, angel with a flaming sword in front of the tree when he put Adam and Eve there. He didn't guard. Don't let them. No, no. I've got a trust relationship with you. I'm asking you not to eat. And I trust that you'll honor that. You think about that. He offered them a trust relationship. He offered them a relationship of loyalty. You are my highest creation. I am loyal to you. Unlike I am loyal to anything else. Even the angels in heaven. He, we're going to get into this next week. He shared his power 
with Adam and Eve. An intriguing study. You'll find it interesting, I think. And he offered them his attention. Adam and Eve, you need me, I'll be there. I'll be there. Adam and Eve lost all four of those when they, cho- when they told God, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. Yes, thank you for offering those four things to us. But no thanks, we got this. We'll trust ourselves more than you. We will be loyal to ourselves more than we'll be loyal to you. We mm, share that power with you, God. We'd like it all to ourselves. And we would like your attention, but when we want it. And the Bible is really the continual story of how God decided to restore to people, me and you, all that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. I believe there is nothing that is as important as you and I coming to the realization, and Mom touched on it, I didn't, I didn't say anything to Mom about what to share today, um, but what you shared was perfect in that there is nothing more important for you and I to become convinced of than God's declaration and promise that He will always be loyal to us. He will always believe in us. He will always find us valuable. Always. Always. Even with Peter, when Peter betrayed the Lord Jesus, and he appears to Peter later on by the lake, Peter said, to heck with all this, I'm going fishing. Jesus appears on the lake. And you know what he, what, he, what, what, he, what he says? He says, Peter, when you return, when you return, not if you return, but when you return, I am so committed to you. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in the God that I placed inside, the spirit that I placed in you, Peter. So when you return, not if, God communicates His loyalty to us. I don't know if you heard mom when she read out of Ephesians 1 that God did all this before, the fa- before He ever created the world. Not Adam and Eve disobeyed, rebelled, sinned, the whole thing fell to, you know, went to Hades in a handbasket, and then God started rushing around saying, oh my gosh, what? plan B, plan B, this is wartime conditions, we got to get this thing, no, no, no. Before the foundation of the world, God had already orchestrated all of this. Already set this in motion. Already taken care of this. And God has communicated to you and to me repeatedly His loyalty to us by the fact that He's the one that initiates a relationship with us. God's not waiting around on you, buddy. Oh, I hope Jerry or Barry one day decides to seek after me. No. God's seeking after you. God's the one looking. 
He's the shepherd looking for the lost sheep. He's the lady looking for the lost coin. God is the one that initiates. He's the one that is pursuing us. Those of you that are reading through the Bible with me, I don't know whether you've noticed, but we're in Numbers. Well, Leviticus and Numbers and right around in there, depending on where you're reading. So important that we read the Old Testament. You'll never understand the New Testament unless you read the Old Testament. You'll never understand the New Testament unless you read the Old Testament. And one of the things that the Old Testament will reveal to us is the very fact that have you ever discovered in your reading of the Old Testament what was Israel, the people of God, what were they doing for the 400 years that they were in Egypt? Well, they were making bricks, building stuff. Yes, but you know what they were doing while they were doing that? The Bible says numerous times that while Israel was in Egypt, they did nothing but complain, rebel, and cheat on God. Worship the gods of Egypt. But God was still committed to rescuing them. They get into the wilderness. And they're there for 70, no, how long? Yeah, 70 years, is that right? 70 years? What were they doing those 70 years while you're reading through Numbers? What are the, what's Israelites doing for those 70, for the 70 years uh, in the wilderness? What are, the, what's, what are they doing? Complaining, rebelling, and worshiping the gods of the countries around them. They get into the promised land. Woohoo! We've made it. We're here now. It's over. We're, we're doing good. No. They're in the promised land. What are they doing? Complaining, rebelling, and worshiping the idols of the lands of the people around them. They go into exile, into Babylon. They go into exile. You know what the Bible says? You know what the, uh, Jeremiah the prophet says? While you were in exile, you did nothing but complain. What was the other one I said? Complain, rebel, and worship idols. And yet, every step of the way, God was initiating relationship with them, and God was pursuing relationship with them. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, God says, Be strong and courageous, and don't fear your enemies, for the Lord God goes with you, and He will never abandon you. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, God is loyal to us even when we are not loyal to Him. That's why Charles Spurgeon called God a dog. You mean Charles Spurgeon called God a dog? Called Him the hound of heaven. He was a hound that would never stop chasing his people. He chased and he chased and he chased and he chased throughout the Bible. And guess what? Nothing's changed. He is pursuing us continually. 
the hound of heaven. I think the clearest example of God's loyalty to me and to you, Rachel, and to you, Farah, is the very fact that if you read in Mark chapter 3, Colin, you want to read that with me real quickly? You can just follow along. Let's read this as we end. Listen to the loyalty that Jesus declares to you and to me. His mother, Jesus' mother and his brothers came and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting about him inside the house and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Your family, your blood family, they're asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat about him, he said, Here is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Crazy that the Son of God would declare that his family of faith is more important to him than even his blood family. He's that loyal to me and to you. Um, if you're sitting here today thinking about what I've said, let me just go on and hedge you off at the pass. There's two really good responses to what I've said today that I'd like for you to consider. And there's one terrible response. Two good, got two good choices you can respond and one terrible one. Let me go on and give the, get the terrible one out of the way. If you're sitting there thinking, man, my husband sucks at this. He, is, he gets an F on loyalty. My wife is terrible at this. She's put her mother before me since time began. She's terrible at this. Then you miss the point. You, you get an F. If you're sitting there thinking about other people's failure to be loyal to you, you have failed. You, as my grandson would say, you do not get a sticker <laughs> on your paper. What I wished we would do instead would ask ourselves the question, what kind of loyalty do I communicate on a regular basis to my mate or to my children or to whoever's important to me? How am I doing on a day-in, day-out basis, communicating to you, you matter, you're important, I value you, I believe in you. There's another right answer. You could lean over to your mate, or maybe on the way home, or 
send an email or a text or whatever you do. And it's okay. It's very reasonable for you to also say, I love you, but I need more of your loyalty. It's okay. You're not attacking. You're not criticizing. You're not judging. You're just acknowledging your need, the desire of your heart. I don't feel your loyalty like I wished I did. I need more. That, that's a very okay answer. I need to work <laughs> way more at this. That's a great answer. I need more from you. Would you please try to show me more? That's a great answer. You suck. That's a bad answer. Okay, let's not do that one. Okay, that, that one's no good. That's terrible. Okay. Uh, Tim and Esther, y'all come up and help me. Come up here. and We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Try to go that way and then come this way, if you will. Come down the center aisle. It keeps it from being a little log jam deal, if you would. That would be, um, that would be good. Um, remember what I read in Psalm 31? Or I guess it's Deuteronomy 31, my bad. It said, Be strong and courageous, and don't fear your enemies. For the Lord God goes with you, and He will never abandon you. If we doubt the loyalty of God, we don't understand the cross. Because God said, my loyalty to you, Leslie, and you, Stacy, I'll even sacrifice my son to communicate to you my loyalty to you. You think about that. I will, I will let my son die to communicate to you in an undeniable way, I'm loyal to you. Every day and twice on Sunday, I'm loyal to you. We eat and we drink, that which represents the body and the blood of Jesus, for many reasons, not the least of which just to declare, God is loyal to me. And maybe to also declare, God have mercy on me, help me to be more loyal to you. If that's your declaration, if that's your desire, thank you for your loyalty to me, God. God, help me to be more loyal to you. If that's your declaration, if that's your desire, I invite you to come and take this wine and bread and eat and drink and just rejoice in the loyalty that God has displayed to each one of us. Okay, you come.